Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. We appreciate you guys so much. Hope you had a wonderful weekend and another week to try to seek first his kingdom and do one day at a time what he has called us to do, um, hopefully with uh, love as we speak the truth and try to point people to the gospel. Let's let, let that be our foundation, and let's open this hour as we always do in prayer. Um, Lord God, thank you for the work that you're doing in the realm of the Spirit with all the chaos and the, um, boy, the, the discord and the division we're seeing and experiencing in America and even around the world, um, we lose sight of your sovereignty. We know that you love us. We know that you have called us, those of us who believe. And we know, God, that you have a plan and purpose for every life. And God, help us to do our part. And help us to trust you no matter what is happening around us because we know the end game. And we thank you that we have such an amazing hope and uh, eternal life with you, Jesus. And help us to bow the knee only to you, our one true God. And it's to you we swear our allegiance. And help us also to have compassion for our fellow man, to really love our neighbors in practice. And uh, Lord, help us to hopefully shine your light in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are going to split up today's podcast a little bit topic-wise. And um, before we get into uh, really some of what's happening in our country and our culture, which we have to address, I don't think we can avoid this anymore, friends. Uh, We don't want to be going around uh, ignorant, um, like with our heads in the sand. But a more important issue is the persecution of Christians that has gone on since the early days, right? I mean, thousands of years. And this is not only in America, it's it's very mild here compared to around the world. That's what we're going to talk about today in this first segment, to give us a refresher and some perspective. Um, Our guest today is Kyle Apps. He's the executive director of uh, International Committee on Nigeria. And we are going to talk about what's happening over there and some horrific uh, headlines and um, what's happening to our family in Christ, our brothers and sisters, that does not make the news. Kyle Apps, thank you so much for joining us on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, um, we wanted to talk about this because... A, it's important, B, it doesn't get the headlines, and C, we need to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. And so where would you like to start, Kyle? Uh, First of all, how long have you been with International Committee on Nigeria? And tell us a little bit about that organization. Sure. International Committee on Nigeria, ICON, is three years. It's a young organization, but the work... Myself and uh, the executive director, sorry, executive president, Stephen Inada, we've been friends for 20 years. I I was a missionary in Nigeria since 2000. Uh, I was born and raised in southeast Wisconsin, but I've got connections to your area with my my grandmother and and, and my mother's side of the family from Appleton to Nina to Kakana, all those places. So we've got roots. I was raised here, so I'm a son of the soil and I've been influenced the sea. So I went to Nigeria as a missionary and met Stephen, and together we kind of uh, d- d- deemed uh, uh, an organization to help advocate for Nigerians for, for religious freedom and for the persecution that they're suffering. So uh, you, I'm looking at um, International Committee on Nigeria, the website, which is standwithnigeria.org. That's correct? Yeah. Um, it says you've worked for 20 years in relief and development and uh, community development with various agencies. Um, I did a trip, gosh, 25 years ago with Food for the Hungry. and hey. um, I, Modernization, that's where I started with, yeah. Yep, I, I don't want to get off track here because I went to, <laughs> I went to Jamaica, but okay. I didn't see anything that I've ever seen 
in the postcards and the travel brochures about Jamaica, right. the nice white yeah. sandy beaches, the blue water, the, re, the glorious resorts there, the luxurious hotels. I didn't see that part of the island at all. What I yeah. saw, as you know, in uh, Kingston there, and outside yeah. of that, that city, I, don't, I can't believe the government would have this amazing travel location on one side of the island and the other side of the island. People are literally, I, I took pictures of children going to this massive garbage dump. It's the city dump, and they're yeah. looking for food or recyclables. And there are dead animals, and, it, and the stench is amazing. And then you go to where these people live, Kyle, and... Um, Man, I mean, tin roofs and and just just shacks. Really, they don't have clean running water. And this is just I don't know a couple miles from where tourists are. Um, before we get into Nigeria, would you like to speak about that? Since you have worked with Food for the Hungry, yeah, I mean that's that's just typical uh, development work. I mean, the truth is, people are trying to do their best. I mean, and that's, they just haven't been given the resources, the tools to do that. So hmm. when we talk of aid, we talk of uh, government involvement, they rarely take care of their, their people. They're hmm. often taking care of themselves. People are left to do what they can. They go to a garbage dump and they, they, they get stuff out. It's, they're very resourceful, but it's just very heart-wrenching to see because we know what it's like here to be able to care for ourselves and do it. And, and that's all they're asking for is the same uh, the same ability to do that, and, and they're being stopped and thwarted by, by the government and by others. So, you know, re- relief and development is needed, but also it's giving a hand up instead of a hand out. Mm. And I'm, that's so sad that that's in so many parts of the world. And, um, yeah. you know, I don't want to draw a parallel because I'm not sure if it is accurate, but what are your thoughts on in America? We, we have I've prosperity like no other country, really. And yet in our some many of our inner cities, um, Governments are, be, are being given money, federal, federal funding, but it doesn't seem to get to the people in some of our own inner cities that are either homeless or are very uh, poor. And when I say poor, compared to the rest of the world, we're rich, right? But what are your thoughts on that? Is there a parallel we can draw? Well, I mean, I worked at, in the Milwaukee Rescue Mission for two and a half years in the women and children's side as well. And you see the struggles, you see the, the, the desperation, but you also see the hope. And I think it's a, interesting enough, these, this, this whole uh, racial progress discussions we're having and, and different things, it's important, I think, to be able to go through that and have the honest discussions, but they have to be honest. They have to be both ways. We can't just say this happens and that happens and then not be able to respond to it. So I think, you know, we've got to start coming back to the table and, and talking about what what is really why is this happening why is that happening so without without having honest discussions and honestly the church has to be at the forefront of it because I mean, we're the we're the ones that are the hands and feet of, of christ so i think without that you know the church will be left aside if we put everything in government's hands we're going to fail mm-hmm. amen uh, before we get back to nigeria and I, i've ha- got several news stories here on the just the, the horrific attacks on people over there um by boko haram um much of the time you worked on a project called widows and orphan care tell us a little bit about that yeah. So that was so. This whole twenty-year pilgrimage through Nigeria, one of the biggest things we saw was working with women and children, and that's kind of the, the where the advocacy Stephen and I, uh, my colleague, came up with is this: people are being when, when a widow is being when she loses her husband, she loses everything. Hmm. Uh, often, if, if the if her husband has a brother, he'll come in and just take everything: the car, take the house, everything, because. It's his property, his family's property, not hers. So often widows are just struggling to, to even have a, a, a place to sleep in, a place to take care of their children. Children are often just left alone. So it's it's advocating for them and giving them hope as well. So it's, it's hard to see because here there's a lot of there's insurance, you get this and that. There's a lot of care for that, but, but in most countries like Nigeria, that doesn't happen. Okay, let's talk about some headlines, Kyle, that um, I've been very... Well, recently I've been reminded we are so um, we get so much news about what's happening only in America a lot of times. And we really lose sight of the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in different parts of the world that are truly suffering and are going through some horrific 
times, and Nigeria is one of those places. So I've got one article here from, um, let's say, it says 81 killed in bloody Boko Haram attack in Nigerian village. This was from um, five days ago. And I know you are very familiar with many of these stories. So go wherever you'd like and just share with us um, just what's happening over there. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, this whole pandemic thing is, is really taking away from what's actually happening in Nigeria. And I think this is, you know, if you want to talk a spiritual thing, I think it's a ploy that's, that Satan is using to distract people from what's really happening. Mm-hmm. And I think we look at the, the past 20 years in Nigeria, there's 62,000 deaths have happened at the hands of Boko Haram, another 18,000 at the hands of Fulani, which is a, is a, is a herder. To, uh, they flow from across West Africa, but they're predominantly Nigeria, and, they're, and they're, they are Muslim-based. And they, they've come into two fronts. The Boko Haram and the Fulani militants are destroying villages, destroying churches, destroying Christians, and taking over lands and, and occupying it. And we call it occupying or land grabbing in Nigeria. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible situation. The government has not done the new president. Well, his first term was 2015, 2019. Now he just got reelected last year. He's a, he's a Muslim Fulani, and he's con- not doing anything to stop it. Wow. So, you know, he's complicit in it, but not doing it. And there's other governors who are from his party that are continuing out this without stopping it, without making comments, without making arrests. They're perpetuating this problem. So d- did you say the president of Nigeria is a Muslim? Yeah. I mean, typically what Nigeria has is they have an eight years Muslims can be president, then they give it to a Christian. It's always a Muslim president, vice president, Christian. So it's like they flip-flop, they have a rotating thing. And this other point that I want to bring out here, it's not just the fact they do kill people. Sometimes they take people, uh, they kidnap people. I see that um, sometimes uh, children, sometimes women. Um, and I'm looking at this article here. It says they also took about 400 cattle. So that's yeah. what else do they? How do these people live if they don't have milk or they, if they don't have cattle? Um, yeah. It's just it's just so sad. Uh, what do you think, Kyle? Um, are, is there more that that we can understand about the plight that they're suffering? Well, to to give it a perspective. In America, so America, the U.S. government, the USAID, the State Department, the Department of Defense, gives almost a billion dollars in grants and aids to help countries like Nigeria, democracy, quote-unquote, I did air quotes there. So they're supposed to be helping these kind of countries get stable, maintain stability. If there's a famine, help out. If there's a conflict, help out. But the money's not going to the the people that need it. You know, the farmers are, in, in most places, are Christian. And then the, the, the Fulani have their cattle, they're nomadic, they, they roam from the rainy season to the dry season based on the following water and resources. So they often come in and attack. And it's not it's not it's not the Fulani generally, it's a militant, it's a faction within them that don't have any cattle, they're just basically marauding, plundering and killing. And the Boko Haram are a terrorist organization that have been linked to ISIS, allegiant to ISIS. They've got videos with the black flag, with the Islamic script, and they, they, they're, they're out to destroy the, the Christians and set up an Islamic caliphate throughout, uh, throughout Africa. Hmm. This headline here that goes along with this same story about Boko Haram in Nigeria, it's really eye-opening and disturbing at the same time. Another headline, same story. A massacre in Nigeria's Boko or Borno state left more people dead than, than months of coronavirus. And I find that to be very eye-opening. We're concerned about this virus here and, and COVID-19 and how it, you know, the different things, how it's affected so many people's lives in many ways. But here, one massacre. This says it took less than two hours for gunmen yeah. to kill more people in Nigeria's north, northeastern uh, area than the coronavirus had in three months. Uh, talk about that, Kyle. Just more perspective. Yeah, so this the whole area, the northeast, Borno State, Adamawa <clears throat> State, uh, Yobe State, that's where the Boko Rama have, have hunkered down and then set up camps and, and do training and attack. So they've They've kidnapped people, they've killed people, they've slaughtered people. Again, it's anyone who doesn't obey them, doesn't uh, join them, they will kill and destroy. And oftentimes it's poor, helpless farmers. 
oftentimes those farmers are Christians, so the people are being killed. So the 81 was just in two hours. There's 400 deaths throughout Nigeria, and that area, the Borno State, uh, Yobe State, very few deaths to COVID-19, if any. So it's, it's, it's the perspective is, you know, this is just, it doesn't make any sense to talk about COVID when we're talking about people's lives that have been dying for years. Now this, um, I'm looking at another article here that says um, 10 people were killed in an attack on a Christian village in northwest Nigeria. This is a different story, but it says the attacks on Christians continue despite Nigerian government's decree of a COVID-19 lockdown. Now this was, I think, it came out last week, but I think they're talking about the lockdown that started at the end of March, and um, I guess that doesn't affect the ones who want to just kill and destroy, right? Right, and that's that's the joke, not a joke, it's a, it's a, it's a threat because they're using the cover of COVID to go out. So hmm. they have since April, not even March, they, they were a little late to the game. So in April they started doing these lockdowns, one week of lockdown, three days of, of release to go shopping and restock and go back to your home for a week. So that doesn't make sense either. <laughs> and then they're starting up laws of... Uh, infectious disease that will repress human rights. There's just whole, the, the army's afraid to go out and attack, uh, defend or attack or stop these things because they may get COVID. So they're not always as eager or they never really were because sometimes they're complicit. Actually, there's been accusations where military uniforms have been seen on some of the attackers. So pe- people are just, it's, it's getting worse because of this, because they're supposed to be locked down. People are in their homes. These Fulani and Boko Haram know they're in their homes, or at least they're supposed to be in their village, hmm. and they use that to go attack them. Um, Kyle, you said before we got on the air that um, we were talking about uh, President Trump signing a religious freedom order, and our government does help these other uh, countries. Um, Nigeria is ranked 12th on Open Doors list of countries where Christians suffer the most persecution. Tell me or tell our listeners what I didn't realize about when he, the same day, I guess he signed that order. That was the day he went and took the Bible and stood in front of that church and people thought he did it as a photo op to, I don't know, take, take ground back of the church that protesters had, you know, burned. But tell us what you know about that. So I just came back from D.C. yesterday. I had some meetings in side places. Most of the offices are closed or can't go in. So I was told by some people in the know that what happened was this was an event. He was signing an international religious freedom order to provide training for all the staff in the State Department, Peace Corps, USAID, to be sensitive to religious other religions around the world. You know, if they're Christian, here you go. So typically, State Department, USAID, they're, 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 they're almost like atheists. They go in without any faith, any beliefs, and you're not supposed to share. So this is allowing people to be aware, if you're a Christian, good. Here you are, this is it. So it's an act to, to provide training, sensitivity to the American government. Hmm. So it was a planned event, I don't know for how many months, but there were supposed to be religious leaders from around the world, around the country, in in D.C. to sign it, they were supposed to actually do the signing either in that church or across the street and walk over. But the whole object was to have that as the backup because of the his- historical value that it, that it signifies. So when Trump was there, he always had it. Not sure he probably thought this is a planned event. I'm still going to go through it. And, and it wasn't a photo up like, hey, I woke up this morning. I have a Bible. Let me go and take a picture. That's just wrong. And that's the way the media spun it, didn't they? Sure. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, there's very few people that are, so the people that are in the know are trying to call out those people who are condemning it and other things, too, like the bishops in Washington, the, 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 the ones that have criticized Trump for doing that. Hmm. Kyle Apps, International Committee on Nigeria. Um, we, I, I believe we, we want to have you back, Kyle. We want to work out a, another time uh, where you can come on maybe in, in another month or so and, and just more updates because I want to help you. One of your main goals is to raise awareness about what's really happening in Nigeria and, of course, around the world, but that's where you're focused. Uh, tell us a little bit about how people can find out about you guys, maybe get a newsletter. Your website is standwithnigeria.org. We'll put that in today's podcast note. Yeah, and I think just, you know, keep as you started the show of prayer, that's our biggest thing. So we, we try to, you know, as much as people can pray and, 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 and bring the issues to, to God in prayer, it helps. We know this 
because we've seen this as many times. Every time we go to D.C., we're praying, we're praying, you know, sometimes with congressmen and other people too. So it's 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 encouraging to know that this administration is very pro uh, Christian rights around the world. You know, in Pakistan, in Nigeria, in Burkina Faso, and other parts of the world that that want to see. Christians being treated fairly. So we're, we are very, you know, it's, it's a difficult time. we got six months of the election, so I'm not, you know, on a campaign trail here, but we would, you know, we don't know what's going to happen come if, if, if the election goes the other way. So mm-hmm. keep praying and keep, you know, go to the website, sign up for our newsletter. Um, yeah, just keep in the know. Thanks, Kyle. I want to emphasize what you just said. That, that you know, this election, chances are, if uh, President Trump is not reelected, um, there won't be that focus on Christian persecution and uh, protecting people and on religious freedom. That this president, though he's not perfect, he's got many flaws, including some of his language at times. But the policies that he has stood behind and has enacted in this administration, I've been thankful, and particularly from the aspect where you're coming from. That's the persecution of Christians, trying to raise awareness. And again, I'll put the website. It's International Committee on Nigeria. Kyle Apps, we, God willing, will have you back, brother. Thank you for taking time to be with us this morning on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, A whole lot more. We'll uh, change gears and talk about what's happening in the country and some recent news stories and how to address them from a biblical standpoint when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Oh, guys, thank you so much uh, for staying with us. What an important first segment to just, for me, I hope that you're feeling the same way, that we need to get our perspective back in some sort of balance here biblically. And to talk about Christian persecution, we are so disconnected not from reality, but just from really the, the awareness of what's happening to our family in Christ uh, across the country. I mean, I'm sorry, around the world, not in the U.S. And so let's keep them in prayer. In Jesus' name, God, uh, please help our Christian brothers and sisters. Um, provide for them. Protect them. And, Lord, please um, show them your, your strength and your power and your comfort when they're going through these times that they're going through where they're losing their homes or churches or uh, they have to move from village to village. Lord, please supply all of their needs. And, um, Lord, give us a heart to remember them in prayer in Jesus' name. Okay, um, this is going to be kind of an abrupt <laughs> turn here to the topic. I just pulled up an article. You know what's happening in Seattle, um, where apparently, you know, they've taken over blocks of the city and autonomous zone. Well, what can we do? We can pray about what's happening in America. We can pray that some of these radical ideas won't creep into the church, but I'm afraid that many of them already have. Um, Please check out our podcast last week in... um, Segment two and three of last Friday, uh, we talked about this, and the the title of that one was Navigating COVID-19, God's Law and Social Justice Christianity. Um, Some of these people mean well. I'm not talking about the people that took over Seattle now. Let me clarify. Some of the people that are protesting peacefully, um, who doesn't want justice, right? Who doesn't believe, as far as Christians, that black lives matter. Of course they do. But there are some people that want to resort to activism now to maybe get the message out, promote it. Be careful what you are getting behind, Christian. Be careful who you are locking arms with. Please go to our podcast. Go to this link for discoverthenetworks.org and click on Black Lives Matter. And please understand what's behind that whole movement and who. And it is about as anti-Christian as you can get. But we'll talk about that more uh, later this week. So this article I mentioned, there's a street preacher that was assaulted in Seattle's autonomous zone and dragged through the street. You may have seen this, um, a Christian going out. I mean, that would be what we would like to do, right? Share the gospel. What is the gospel? it, it, we can be forgiven by a holy God whom every man is, and woman is a sinner, but Jesus has forgiven our sins, and 
by putting our faith and trust in him, we can be reconciled to God because we are, we are not following God if you do not know Jesus. You might be following a God or another God or another ism or religion, but if you do not know Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I know it's very exclusive, but it happens to be true, and there's so much we could talk about there, but we don't need to make that point. The point is people need to hear the gospel, and either they're saved or unsaved. That is how we recognize people now. According to the flesh, we know that we are in this world, and we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. But in the Spirit, someone is either a child of God or a child of the devil. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 3. That's what Jesus talked about. He even called the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were coming against him. I believe it's John chapter 7 or 8. You are of your father, the devil. They're, they said, what? You know, because they were going against Jesus, who was God in the flesh. But they were, of course, hating him, coming against him, doing what their father did. Anyway, back to this article. So this, a street preacher it goes into this autonomous zone in Seattle, and uh, there's a number of videos on social media uh, showing this. Um, he can be seen surrounded by a number of people while uh, speaking on one of those streets. Um, so the activists ended up um, very tolerant, right, assaulting him. And at one point, um, yeah, it, it's just very, very sad what they did. Um, it's been taken over, as you know, by Antifa and Black Lives Matter activists and other supporters and has been illegally blocked off, right? They don't want anything to do with the police. They want to defund the police. They are encamped in a six-block area in Seattle. This is in America, friends. They want to create a new community, a new country, it seems. They're putting up walls. I thought they didn't believe in borders. <laughs> so the area happens to include Seattle Police Department's burned-out East Precinct. Oh, my goodness. So the street preacher is confronted by a man wearing a red handkerchief over his face, probably Antifa. So he said, you'll die out here. You want to die out here, he says. So they're threatening him, and, of course, then they ended up attacking him. But another video was posted that shows that the street preacher appears to be unconscious and is being dragged through the street by a couple of men in front of a crowd of people. Uh, so much for freedom of religion in Chaz, right? That's what they call this new area. So they beat this Christian man who was just going out to preach you know, the gospel. Um, <laughs> and think about this, the gospel it's about the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now God will judge the world and Jesus will be judged but right now he's giving us an opportunity to share his love. It's only by his grace that he has not judged America already. Some people think or speculate that spiritually God has already judged us in many ways and more judgment is to come but right now we, we, you go out and share the gospel people have an opportunity to respond so um, it's really really sad that he was told when he first went out there in Seattle in this blocked off area he said you are not the police you cannot control anybody in this area and then Someone tweeted this. It says, I definitely understand that many street preachers can be offensive but and openly say things that upset people, especially in a big liberal city. But after 11 minutes, this young man stepped in and reminded people they aren't the police. Different styles of leadership, right? So what I'm saying, what I just read there and explained to you is that there are different people inside this radical takeover, this radical movement that... Some of them are disagreeing with how the leaders, the radicals, the, the anarchists and communists, some are disagreeing with how they are going about doing things. So we don't know, because the news will never show you they are disjointed, right? Um, we don't know what's actually happening internally, but we do know the organizations behind this. And um, 
just be careful, friends. If you're Christian, be careful who you partner with and what you support. Um, before I get to an article I wanted to share, and then what the Bible says about racism, we've got a little bit of time to do this. Ryan Bromberger, um, he's with the Radiance Foundation. Uh, he's African-American. Actually, he is American. He's, he's black. He was born in America, so I guess we couldn't call him African because he's born here. He is an American citizen. He would say that himself. He tweeted something with uh, major letters saying Christ before color. I don't know if you saw that on social media. Um, Christ before color because he's a Christian. And here's what he said. If you're recommending friends and family listen to the world instead of the word, redirect. If you're marching with a movement that wants to spread power based on color, redirect. If you're leading a church that has been silent about injustice in whatever form it takes, in and out of the womb, redirect. If you're prejudging or discriminating against someone based on the beautiful hue of his or her skin, redirect. If you're fighting for justice but not allowing unfailing love and truth to lead, redirect. If you're genuinely, I'm sorry, if you're genuflecting to a political agenda that neither wants to forgive nor reconcile, redirect. If you're one who thinks statues are the problem and not our culture's monumental rejection of biblical statutes, redirect. If you're persuaded by a mainstream media that thrives on deceit, division, and demagoguery, redirect. If you're only listening and not seeking the facts about circumstances of injustice, redirect. And finally, if your mourning, M-O-U-R-N, if your mourning doesn't move into, a, into loving and transforming, redirect. That's from Ryan Bomberger, B-O-M-B-E-R-G-E-R. He's with the Radiance Foundation, and he's a great voice for the pro-life movement and speaks against um, the unborn. For, for the, he speaks against abortion on behalf of the unborn, and um, as we all should. And um, I want to share with you some other thoughts now from an article that I thought was, you really made some good points. Not perfect, but I thought Natasha Crane uh, made some really good points. Her article was entitled, Five Ways Christians Are Getting Swept Into a Secular Worldview in This Cultural Moment. So here are five ways. And some of the, the facts here some of the details that she highlights, you know, we could talk even more about them and break them down a little bit more. But the essence of what she said, I really think that we need to have a better, better balance as Christians because I've seen too many people, even some that I know, uh, fall for the movements, the activism of the left um, and social justice. They're taking on a, a secular social theory now and once you start doing that you will completely uh, lose your biblical focus right because then you are about activity and doing something to try to uh, force justice when god is just and vengeance is his uh, he said that vengeance is mine saith the lord so christians are getting swept into a secular worldview as they respond to in recently what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis. But here are five ways that she talks about. Number one, she said, Christians, we are too quickly jumping on social bandwagons hitched to secularism. She said we need to open our eyes to a very important fact. Research shows that those committed to a biblical worldview are now a minority. Did you hear that? We need to understand this is the state of our culture and country today. One more time. Research shows that those committed to a biblical worldview are now a minority. This means that if everyone around you is jumping on a bandwagon, bandwagon of some kind, there is really a good chance it's not a bandwagon rooted in values consistent with a biblical worldview. Such an important point. She said, maybe that's not the case in a, in a given situation, but you won't know 
unless you take the time to thoughtfully evaluate what's going on and determine if this is a bandwagon a Christian should be on. And, of course, she's probably referring to Black Lives Matter. And if you don't, you may intentionally be espousing the values of a worldview in significant conflict with your own biblical worldview. So she says, how do we do a better job of being mindful of this? She said, carefully read statements of belief on the sites of organizations you support and promote. That goes for all of us in anything we promote or support outside of our local church. If it's a nonprofit, make sure you understand its connections, its mission statement, who's involved. Um, for example, she said, before you champion the organization, Black Lives Matter, be sure to read the statement of beliefs on their site. And then she said, these reach far wider than a statement of black equality. Uh, they support abortion, uh, the LGBTQ, socialism. They desire to, quote, disrupt the traditional family structure and call to erase all gender lines. These are just a few of many concerns. So I know you're busy. But don't use that as an excuse not to do the research. If you, are, if you support Black Lives Matter, actually, regardless of whether you do or don't, I encourage you to find out information behind what they're about and who is supporting them and promoting them. Where do they get their funding? George Soros has funded millions through his open society uh, into Black Lives Matter, and in many ways, many different arms of Soros, right? The money gets to these radical groups, and their purposes are not Christian. So Christian friends, please, in your compassion, don't lose sight of the gospel and the focus in biblical truth, and don't fall for some of these movements. Here's what, what else she said. Before you donate financially, Look at public financial statements. See where these funds are being used. An organization's statement of belief might be broad enough to not raise a red flag. Some of them are very neutral. I've looked at many, and you go, hmm, I know this is really secular. I know they are emergent or all about social justice activism. But this statement really doesn't say a whole lot because it kind of leaves you with a neutral feeling. Keep digging. Keep digging digging. Understand where the money goes because that speaks volumes. So she, she goes on with two more bullet points before we have to take another break. Don't use hashtags until you understand where they originated, what they represent to the people who created them, and what they likely communicate to those around you. Before purchasing books, look at the endorsers. Are these people you already trust to hold a biblical worldview. That's what I have to, you know, we get books sent all the time from different authors here at Stand Up For The Truth. I get books sent to me. I can't read them all, but I can skim them. I can look at the table of contents. I can look at who endorses the book. And that oftentimes, if I, I see a certain amount of endorsements coming from the left and some people that aren't even Christian, I'm not going to take the time to, to read the book, let alone interview someone and give them a platform on this podcast. Um, she says many times the one-star interviews <laughs> will expose the underlying assumptions of the book. So she said read both the five-star reviews and one-star reviews and make sure, check out their worldview if you can and, and what their other people are saying about the book, what they got out of it. Now, this isn't to say that you shouldn't read books you disagree with necessarily, but rather that you should be fully informed going into the book regarding the worldview from which it's been written. Okay, that was just the first point in this article from Natasha Crane, called, and, the, and that, that point was, we are too quickly, some Christians, she's saying, are jumping on social bandwagons hitched to secularism. We'll talk about um, a couple more points that she made and what the Bible says about racism when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. 
And let's before we get back to this article that we were uh, talking about in this last segment here and uh, the article, I really recommend it. And it's by Natasha Crane, Five Ways Christians Are Getting Swept into a Secular Worldview in This Cultural Moment. I want to share just some some basic facts we all are very aware of. First of all, this nation being divided is now even more divided. But we have to understand the root of racism. It's not ultimately rooted in the tragic history of the United States or the world or slavery or past racist laws. It's actually rooted in sin. Prejudice, racism, discrimination, they've always existed in one form or another all throughout history. Not just because of skin, but because of nationality, because of class, because of other you know, issues and factors. Sin is the root of all evil actions and thoughts. That includes racism. God's word says God created us male and female in his image. So we are created in his image. Let's clarify, not everybody is a child of God, but we're created in his image. We, every person is one from one biological race. Think about that if you believe the Bible, which is true. We all come from one biological race. We're one race, varying levels of pigment in our skin called melanin, a brown pigment. Think about some people have a lot of melanin, dark shade. Others have a little lighter shade. But um, think about a white person. Hold a white piece of paper right next to your face if you're white. And I guess, oh, my goodness, I look more maybe olive or slightly tan. Um, So, well, I'm not white. You know what I mean? So, Melanin, And then this has nothing to do with race, understand. One race, which is a biblical truth confirmed by genetics. Get this down, friends. We've got to start with the foundation. We've got a sin problem, not a skin problem. So it's a result of the genetic diversity God built into humankind. And how can we respond to what's going on, the lies in our culture, in our country? Well, God's Word, the true history of humanity, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know true history has been edited and much of it removed from some of our schools, from K through 12 to academia. It's become very anti-American, very godless and anti-Christian. We're seeing the signs of that. But our biggest problem is the sin that separates us from a holy God. So let's come back to that as a foundation. Thankfully, Jesus Christ died in a cross, on the cross, in our place. And (laughs) he took the death for us, the death that we deserve because of our sin. But now, if we repent and trust him, Trust Christ alone for our salvation. That's the bottom line. So now we see people as either saved or not saved. We don't see them as according to color, according to nationality, according to country of origin, according to anything else. They're either Christian or not a Christian. And we will be with fellow believers, child, children of God. We will be with them forever. Now back to this article. I just wanted to reiterate some of those points. She said, we are conflating empathy with agreement on action. In other words, how to, re, how to respond to what's going on. There's a huge emphasis, she says, on the need to listen to the experiences of people from marginalized communities. And that's really a good thing. If you're unaffected by some of the issues our fellow man, men and women, human beings are going through, um, well, it's far too easy to live in ignorance and not have a sense of urgency for helping them and being compassionate. So let's acknowledge the peaceful protests that have been happening. There is some of those going on, but they have been hijacked. It's very, very clear. Separate the movements from the cause and the original reason for the protests because they have been hijacked. She says it's extremely concerning, however, when it's implied that listening with empathy and compassion means the listener— if you're white, for example, has no further place in the conversation. Truth is dictated by the experience of the person being listened to. When the call to listen with empathy and compassion turns to be quiet because you have no right to speak on this issue, that's sad. That's really sad. And that's not really tolerant 
Um, and there's a major problem right there for the Christian worldview. So let's use abortion as an example. Abortion doesn't suddenly become morally acceptable just because a black person shares their experience of discrimination and injustice and then states that it's oppressive to the black community to be pro-life. Friends, that's something that we're seeing a lot of online. But the truth is there are more black babies aborted than allowed to be born in New York, for example. That was the home of the first Planned Parenthood. That's not an issue with racism. 79% um, of Planned Parenthood clinics are in minority neighborhoods. But this should be a matter of logic. And let's go on to the next point. So, you know, compassion doesn't equal agreement, right? We can be compassionate with what's going on. We can listen, but that doesn't mean we agree with their answer for action. Number three, we're being shamed into accepting secular definitions of love. If there's something pretty much everyone does agree on right now, it's that we need to love one another. Given the, import, the importance of love in Christianity, one might think this is an area where the secular world and Christians can align. Unfortunately, that's not often the case. Um, a Pharisee asked Jesus once, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if Jesus says that one commandment is the greatest, we need to listen closely. It implies that any other commandments should be obeyed within that context. Again, loving the Lord your God with everything you are and everything you have, that is the ultimate commandment. God first. In this case, he's telling us what it means. To love others depends on what it means to love God first. This is why Christians so often clash with culture on what love is. We have different objectives. Christians should strive to love others given God's standards. The secular world strives to love others given self-defined standards, not God's standards. If someone shames you for not being loving, remember that godly love is wanting for others what God wants for them. Salvation, even if when that's not what they want for themselves. Number four, we're unknowingly getting caught up in critical theory. We're going to talk about this a little bit more with uh, Pastor Seiko Woods, who is going to be our guest Wednesday. Um, critical theory is the ideology that underlies many of the popular responses to racial injustice that we're seeing today. And it is a secular view that is unfortunately spilling into the church. And this is why you and I need to be concerned. This does apply to us. This ideology views reality through the lens of power, dividing people into oppressed groups and oppressor groups along lines like race, class, gender, sexuality, uh, sexual orientation, physical ability, and age. Truth becomes relative based on your status in one of these groups. If you're unfamiliar with the term critical theory, you would be blown away when you learn about it and see how it explains so much of what we're seeing happen today. And there's a man, a Dr. Neil Shenvey, he specializes in this area. He's written extensively on his site. We shared a, an article last week on Stand Up For The Truth Facebook. Uh, please read the in, introduction and the resources he has on his website. It's shenveyapologetics.com. In fact, I'm going to put that. I'll put that in today's podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. He's reviewed several books on racial injustice on his site, and so he talks a lot about their grounding in critical theory. Um, so highly recommend that. Additionally, um, there's a new ministry, Monique Dusen. She's with the Center for Biblical Unity, and she came out of critical theory herself and is working toward unity from a biblical perspective. And number five in, in her point, and these are from the article, uh, Five Ways Christians Are Getting Swept Into a Secular Worldview in This Cultural Moment. She says, we're neglecting opportunities to demonstrate how a secular world 
fails. So as Christians get swept into a secular ways of thinking, we lose sight of the highly relevant opportunities right now to show how a secular worldview fails to explain what everybody is saying they intuitively know, that every human life is valuable, that there are things that objectively are wrong, and that justice matters. But none of those things fit with a godless worldview. If God doesn't exist, the universe came into being by chance, the first living cell developed from nothing or from a non-living matter uh, by chance, and all living things are the eventual product of the blind, undirected process of evolution. In such a case, human life is no more valuable than dust, and there's no basis for saying that any life matters. Only if there is an author of life, a designer, who creates and imbues us with a meaning greater than our physical parts can, well, well, this, they, they actually matter, right? Our physical parts can matter. But if God doesn't exist, there's no objective standard for labeling any action, such as murder, wrong. Right? If we're all just the product of blind, purposeless forces, morality is just an option, or it's just an opinion. Unless there is a fixed moral absolute, a higher-than-human moral authority, no one has a basis for claiming that murder is objectively wrong. Right? <laughs> Correct? <laughs> and finally, if God doesn't exist, the concept of justice is meaningless because there can be no right or wrong in the first place. As C.S. Lewis famously said about his conversion to Christianity, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Justice requires a standard, and there's no objective standard in a purposeless universe. So the justice, the desire for justice is a beautiful thing, and it's rooted in the reality that God, our loving God, is a just God, and he is a just judge, and un, uh, wickedness will be punished. He will not let sin go unpunished if he was a good God and a just God. So we can go about seeking what we call justice, what we want to see in ungodly ways, and that goes right in to those paths of secularism, which a lot of Christians are falling into. So beware. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ if they're going down these paths. Try to gently urge them to come back to the truth and that biblical worldview. When we don't, culture will influence the church more than the church will influence culture. We'll put that article up, standupforthetruth.com, in the podcast notes. And thank you so much. We've got um, a couple exciting guests to tell you about the rest of this week. We'll do that as soon as we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, tomorrow we are going to hear <laughs> uh, Pastor Carl Gallup's uh, never a shortage of things to talk about with him. We'll get his perspective on what's happening in the church, in the, church, in the country. Um, also, Seiko Woods will be with us uh, Wednesday. Um, we'll get his perspective as a black conservative on what's going on in the country. Also, Heidi St. John. We've got some heavy hitters this week. Uh, she'll be with us on Thursday. And George Carneal, he's, uh, well, let me just tell you about the, the title of his book, From Queer to Christ. So he's a former homosexual. We'll get his testimony on Friday. So some great guests. And uh, as always, we appreciate you sharing the podcast. That's one of the few ways it gets out there. And our Facebook page, of course, we need help. We need your help directly going to the page because you will, chances are you won't see most of our posts in your newsfeed. So forgive me for being redundant, but that's, we need our help. We have not been able to crack through the censorship, the shadow banning of our Stand Up For The Truth page on Facebook. So thank you so much. God bless you. Appreciate your prayers. And always keep speaking the truth about things that matter.